What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus hosted for and by queer women of color. Ow! Yeah! Uh, ooh, 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 ooh! All right. Um, Nikita, Nikita's hype on today. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm money, and uh, y'all, the police are killing babies. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. That's... I I hate to be your reminder of that, but that's what it is. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I hear that. That's real. Uh, so I guess in that same vein, I am Nikita. Fuck the police. Yeah, for real. I just um, yeah. I won't say too much because it's the opener of the episode, but yeah. it's just like. I keep waiting. I feel like I'm I'm like trying to jump double dutch, right? Like I keep waiting for the the moment where there's like a mass people's revolt against the police and yeah. policing like it, it as an institution, not just yeah. like, you know, the individual cops the, or the cops. individual murderers. Yeah, but um I we I yeah. I hope 20 years from now you know, we I'm living in the aftermath of the police. Yeah. And not I wanna be talking to like my grandkids and they're gonna be like, Wait a minute, so there's this thing called the police and it's like yep. and they did what? Yep. That's that's how yep. I would love to talk about it. They used to do what to who? I'm like, and it was yeah, like and it was like, What was their purpose? Yep. And yep. it was like that that you know, that was the question that we answered, grandbaby. Mm-hmm. Yes. I see it. I see it. All right, Nikita, let's drop the intro and get into uh, more life-giving things. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your glow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sis, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love. The intro make you feel sexy? It do <laughs> make me feel like, make me feel like the bad bitch that I actually am. <laughs> cause baby, you love, <laughs> you love. And All right. <laughs> All right, Nikita, you want to tell folks where they can find us in case this is their first time plugging into Queer Walk? Yeah, so uh, now that's your first time, you're ready to get that full Queer Walk voltage. So you can get that zap when you find us on IG and Twitter at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. You can, uh, let's be honest, you can sometimes find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Queer Walk Nope, I figured out how to cross post. So the Facebook page is a little more active. Oh, so the Facebook page is popping. Okay. Yes. And uh, you can also find us on Tumblr, queerwalk.com. Come, money. Ask me to tell the listeners where they can listen to us. Answer your own question. <laughs> All right, you know what? Don't mind if I do. 
to us on Pocket Cast, CastBox, Stitcher, SoundCloud, relatively recently Spotify, and any other major places where one listens to podcasts. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, God, I feel so good about recording today. Oh. Oh, All I'm right. so excited. Yeah. Oh, you can also find us on uh, Discord. We have a Discord server now. So folks who are up on Discord, which is like a Apparently, video voice. That's an app. App chat. Yeah. Um, we have a Queer Walk, the podcast, Discord. Um, and we also have a channel that's not safe for work. So. Do we? Um, what? <laughs> If you want to uh, participate in our Discord and you are a queer woman of color or resonate with that end of the queer spectrum, um, <laughs> you can you can hit me up for the invite link. Because when Muddy like, said we have a Discord, I was like, I was like, there's trouble with queer walk. I like, there's Discord. <laughs> no, it's actually a community space that has been very. Uh, wholesome and no no uh trouble <laughs> i don't so it's like i don't understand what it is i like when, all right so discord is essentially an app right okay. you can it's like whatsapp you can have it on your your laptop you can have it on your device but it's your own little subsection of the larger app so you can have different chat rooms in it there's video chat rooms there's voice chat rooms oh, there's text chat rooms okay um, okay. so you can have different themes under the queer walk umbrella. So right now we have the what up y'all, which is just where, you know, like we just talk the shit about the day. We have the mental mm-hmm. moment chat where people talk about like surviving these days <laughs> and how to stay mentally well. Um, and yeah, we have the, the not safe for work. Um, oh, well I'm going to, yeah. I'll, um, I don't really want to do this, but I think it's important. I think I'll be I'll be sure to moderate that not safe for work se- no, section. Oh, just to Nikita. make sure, just to make sure that everything is above water. Let above me tell ground, you who not to trust board. with a not safe for work chat. I think that I'm just trying is. to make sure it remains a safe space. I don't I'm, I don't want to do it, but I'm just trying to protect our community. Can, when I tell y'all that Nikita is a degenerate. How dare you call a black woman a degenerate? <laughs> a degenerate, Martinique? Yes. Um, wow. That, this is not the person you want to to be moderating or not safe for work anything. Wow. Okay. All right, Nikita. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, but just hit me up for the link because I, yeah, I don't feel like I don't want to post it in the show notes. So right. just DM us if you are down to be a part of the Discord. I wanna be down with you. Uh, so speaking of community, there I was is I was about ways. to do that. Stop, man! Come on, that's what? not your role. Stay in your oh, lane. Now, now you're telling a black woman what her role is. Yes, I am. So, as money has alluded with the Discord, you misogynist. <laughs> okay. Moya Bailey, I'm sorry that Montanique is disrespecting that important term that you just coined. The important term that you coined. Anyway, what I was going to say is that we are all about community and we would not be able to do this if it were not for a community. And people love, and I, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think that this is wrong. People love to contribute to this community. And by God, there are two ways that they can do that money. Tell them how. 
Hint, one is your name. Now that she's done, uh, <laughs> you all can, can continue okay. to contribute to make sure that Queer Walk keeps coming in one of two ways. The first way is by giving us your money. Uh, you can sustain the podcast, uh, this insurgent bi-weekly audio labor of love, over on the Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D, um, and your donations there just ensure that we can keep the mics on, as your gay aunties would say. That is a small donation a month. We have some suggested donations you can give, but you can give as much or as little as you would like. The second way to contribute monetarily is over on the Cash App, which is dollar sign queer walk pod P O D. Um, and again, all your funds go back into the community and bringing y'all this pod. The second way that you can contribute to Queer Walk costs you nothing, which I yeah. know is everybody's favorite fee. <laughs> yeah. How much like, do it cost? You've, you've already <laughs> depleted your refund check. We know it. So maybe your account is on fumes right now. Fear exactly. not. You can still contribute. Right. You can do that by loving us out loud. Um, do the R's. You can rate us, review us, request a topic or a Queer Walk of the Week, repost an episode when we post it, retweet when we're out in the Twitter streets, or reply. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast. Uh, you can also like follow us now that we're on Spotify because you know how you can follow artists artist, or podcasts. Yep. Yeah, you can follow us. That is, it's not an R, but <laughs> it works. Um, tell a friend, pop us in a group chat, pop us in a, um, syllabus, pop us in a, a, a Gmail thread, whatever it takes yeah. to spread the good word of the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. Pop us in a listserv, what have you, what have you. That's it. Um, and if you would like to hit us up with a little more personal or direct requests, you can do that over at the Queer Walk Gmail. That's QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. That's also where you can submit your Curved Chronicles, your dating stories, questions, woes, and wins. Yeah. I like how you said, see, I love my influence on you because you're like, if you want to send us something a little bit more personal. All right. Just, We're just let the record, along. I just want to let the record show that I, I browbeat you into What record? It. I'm editing this out. All right. <laughs> Let's move it on along, Nikita, to the queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week. Segment. You just you just oh. railroaded right through without me. Queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week. Just so I can feel apart. Your queer walk of the week is weak. Like you need to work on that delivery, okay? Queer walk Actually, of the, week. the flow, the delivery, the timing, all of it needs work. <laughs> right. Just, just say, just say that I'm useless. That would be actually. Well, I mean, useless is. A- <laughs> so the queer walk of the week or queer pock of the week is the segment where we highlight, celebrate, give flowers to some queer walk or some queer pock who is doing something dope. Or who just deserves to be celebrated, damn it. Because we do not get enough space, time, joy, and celebration of queer folks of color. So, without further ado, take it away. Keep the freak. You know, I'm going to let go 
the fact that you just ramrodded right through when I was saying something important. But you know what? I'm going to I'm going to be the bigger person right now. So, which is rare for you. At five foot. Okay. You know what? (laughs) You know what, Montanique? If I were you, I'd keep a good watch on my ankles, and I'll just leave it there. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so this week's queer walk of the week is none other than Kianga Yamada Taylor. Come on. How we get free? Okay, so who is Kianga? So Kianga is um, a longtime writer, uh, academic, organizer, and I know Kianga, and I think one of the most, something I just appreciate so much about Kianga is that I feel like she's one of, um, you know, one of these uh, black folks, particularly like queer black folks, who's keeping the black radical tradition alive and i think Mm -hmm. that comes through so much um in her work and it's you know i think especially the reason why there's a lot of reasons why i think that kianga's voice and her writing and her analysis is really important but i think especially in a moment where you know i think we saw it a lot in the in the Democratic primary, like, last, was it last year or whatever that, whenever the fuck that was? I think what we encounter oftentimes these days are, like, when people talk about, like, socialism, there's this idea that, like, I think we're still living in this idea, not as much, but I think there's still this kind of narrative that, like, socialism, and this is why I bring up the Democratic primary, that socialism is, like, white. It's, like, it's just white men, you know, it mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to offer, or it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have anything offer, to offer um, to black folks. And I think Kianga has been a really long time voice and like, again, demonstrating and clearly articulating and making the case of how, not just like how socialism isn't, you know, just for uh, white folks, but I think more critically is that like, what black people have like contributed that tradition and like how we can use this this particular radical tradition to help us get free. Yes. Um and and the thing I just love so much about Kianga and her writing is that so Kianga is like an academic by trade and also congrats to her. She just got promoted to full professor. Um teaching at Princeton and so I know she deserves that promotion so big ups yes. and shout outs to her but one of the ben things what? The thing you I always just, been our full professor Kianga <laughs> shut up is, Kianga is such a clear crisp writer like yes. I feel like she's That's a what sharp I love the most. she's a sharp writer and it's like I think there's still um like her writing is still, it's like really sharp and it's good. It's digestible, it's, it's understandable. It's, right, but there's I still can, rigor. And you know, we're right, all about right. rigor on the show, but she's just, just such a clear writer. So you can catch, uh, I'm talking about like it's a mixtape, <laughs> but you, you can catch her it is. Is that New Kianga, Kianga, Kianga. Kianga made it. <laughs> um, so she uh, she's a contributing writer. Uh, she writes in the in the New Yorker, and I think just kind of I'm just thinking about how we open the show, talking a lot about policing. I mean, she's written a lot about you know like the not just like you know how 
like black folks in like our relationship, you know, to like like how capitalism requires like the criminalization of like uh, black folks in particular. But she's written a lot about like the movements that have come up in the wake of these um, like mass protests and this movement against uh police brutality and policing. And so like her, one of her first books was from Black Lives Matter, from hashtag Black Lives Matter to Black um, Liberation. And that book won the Landon Cultural Freedom Award. And that was a book that, it was it's such a sharp book because she lays out kind of, and so the thing I just love, again, like I said, she's a, such a crisp writer and she's so good at just like, just distilling and just busting through so many of these myths around, um, like these, um, how would you say, like these, like she makes very clear. I, and go ahead. I was just gonna say the thing that I love about her work is that these sticking points that happen on social media, where yes, like people get stuck into this conversation. Yeah, she busts right through those. Oh, that, is the exact way that I think about her writing. You're yeah. so right about that. But like, and like, one of the things that she does in like from uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation is like she lays out how we have come to have like a like these black people in power and like how they don't necessarily um, work for us and how like a movement came up in response essentially into what is a failure of that, like what Glenn Ford would call like the black misleadership class. And so she really makes a very clear um, case um, for that. And something I love about her writing, you know, cause I guess she's writing about like, like in that book, she's like writing about like, excuse me, like the movements that have come up. And I feel like her writing is so comradely. Like, don't get me wrong. I love a good polemic every now and then. But I think if you actually want people to receive what it is that you're saying, I feel like she's really good at distilling and just like we said, breaking through a lot of the myths and misunderstandings in a very clear way that like invite you to think differently about something. Mm-hmm, and I think we need mm-hmm. more of that rather than just like ripping people to complete and utter shit. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, well, the pe- not not people in power because people in power deserve to be ripped from the rooter to the tutor every day of the week, two times on Sunday. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and so, um, in the words of no name, fuck a billionaire. <laughs> Amen and I shame. So, um, and as you uh, alluded to, um, she edited uh, the collection How We Get Free, Black Feminism, and then the Combahee River Collective. That also uh, won a Lambda Literary Award for LGBTQ nonfiction in 2018. And again, like, it was, that's, that is such an important collection because again, like, I think about Kianka in this tradition of like the Combahee River Collective and and in this lineage of Barbara Smith because I think that in my personal opinion the best and sharpest and and radical analysis that I feel like I tend to get is from like left wing black feminists left wing Mm -hmm. black women because I feel like they're able to talk about the pitfalls of like like communist movements, socialism, Marxism, 
able to address the pitfalls of like a particular kind of like black liberalism slash like black neoliberalism able to address like the pitfalls of like you know a particular kind of like white feminism and they don't say hey we throw all these ideas away they say how do we take the best traditions of all of these things and create something that like not just speaks to us but speaks to that helps us actually to like you know as the title suggests get free and to me that and i just i just feel like in my personal experience it's always for so long it has been like left-wing black women that are able to just so clearly crystallize these and bring these kinds of ideas together in a sharp and meaningful way and i think kianga is like she really is um i've i would say that she's one of like those one of these like people who's just so able to do that in such a sharp way um the other book that she uh, um she wrote about housing oh god let me find the title of that book because that that book is so freaking critical race for profit how banks in the real estate industry undermine black home ownership now so that was that book was nominated and won all kinds of awards and this is why i feel like this book is so important because it gives she gives like um like has an analysis of how capitalism played a role in making it making it so that black people would not be able to own own homes why is that analysis important? Because I feel like so many times when we talk about segregation and yeah. housing, it's basically like the conversation ends up being like, well, white people didn't want to live next to black people. And that mm-hmm. explains the whole context of like segregation. And it's like, no, there are these social forces that right. undermine our ability to, you know, participate in, you know, home ownership in this country. Mm-hmm. And again, it brings in like this, uh, again, a left-wing radical analysis mm-hmm. to a much-needed conversation. And it that, also... Go ahead. It also unsticks that conversation about black people just don't know how to manage money. And exactly. that's why we don't own things. Yeah. Or, or when it comes to, like, public housing, it's like, well, you know, black people are nasty. Mm-hmm. And that's why they can't mm-hmm. have good housing. And like, she does a good job of talking, like, laying out how, right. like, there was, like... Um, there was like no, there's like no incentive for these the uh, like for the folks who own public housing, not the people who live in it, like not like the actual tenants to like keep it up. And so it's like mm-hmm. the, actually the people in charge who should have been keeping like keeping the properties clean and you know in safe working like order, so so people mm-hmm. could live. It's like. That that blame that belongs to them then gets shifted on to black people. So she lays out a clear case about how there's no like financial incentive under capitalism for them to make those kinds of decisions in the in the interest, you know, of like black people who are living like in these uh, in like public housing. So again, just much needed analysis. And I feel like that's something when there's something happening, like in the world around like you know black people and inequality or like black people and like social movements or anything like that. Kianga is one of those people where I'm like, I want to know and see what Kianga has to say about this. And I go and I seek her out. So, Mm -hmm. um, yes, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say shout out to Kianga. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, I'm gonna put a link to all of this stuff, all these, all the books that I mentioned. And I really think people should go, and 
look at like the, her columns and articles um, from the New Yorker. Like, you know, we talked about the election. I can't remember what episode that was, but she had a really good election postmortem in the New Yorker. So that, again, that's she's just one of these people where I'm like, I want to figure out what like sharp black people have to say about something. She's like one of the first people um, that I go to. So I hope she becomes, you know, in highlighting her in, in this uh, segment, I hope she becomes, you know, that go-to for so many of our listeners as well. Yes. Make sure she's a must follow on Twitter. Learn, yeah. learn so much from Kianga with the bangers. So Kianga with the bangers. That's right. Ooh. Alrighty. All right, Nikita. So we're going to move it on along to community contributors. No matter how many whoop de doos or de doop de doos you add to it, it's just never going to stop. Okay, sister. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the community contributors segment. You want to tell folks what the community contributors segment is, Nikita? So the community contributors segment is a segment where we just give space to folks in our community who have contributed some kind of way. So it's like we love to give shout outs to people who are donating, who dropped us a sweet line or yeah. So it's like, like we always say. If it was just money and I shooting the shit, that would be fun. But there would not be this community. There, there would not be this queer white community. So, any opportunity we get to highlight and celebrate contributions from our community, you know, that's exactly what we're gonna do. Yes. Um. And so first, you know, I wanted to send a huge shout out to Aqua Underwear. If you ain't got your drawers from Aqua Underwear, go ahead over and um, check them out. You know, they, we got the ad in the episodes. You know, they they have been incredibly supportive to us. And tell them Queer Walk sent you. Yes. You know, where else can you find, uh, like, crotch-inclusive, exactly. queer cock-owned exactly. <laughs> underwear? Okay? So, head on over to Aqua Underwear and get Your you some Your crotch dollars. will thank you. <laughs> Uh, so new patrons this episode. So Iris came back. Welcome, Welcome back. back, Iris. Welcome back. Yes, I love it. I love the. You know what? I ain't got the money right now, but I got y'all when I got it. It's a. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Jay became a new patron. Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Jay, and Jordani upped their pledge. Okay. So. You know, <laughs> got a little extra dollar. Maybe okay. we can get some coffees next time we record. Can we? Can we get coffee next time we record? Okay, money. <laughs> uh, we gotta just stop. I'm gonna stop calling this cash app donations. We're just gonna call this M Martinez contributions because okay. M Martinez. Stays in the cash app. You yes. want a relation? You want to be with somebody in a relationship? I want to be what M Martinez to our cash app. That's the kind of love that I want. <laughs> Just unwavering, never faltering, always yes. there. Yes. I Shout agree. out to M Martinez. So Dr. Sammy holds us down on and that's, Twitter. I was about to say that's another yeah. one. That's another one. That's another one. Yes. Dr. Sammy, I'm just so appreciative. It it be I feel like it comes through in these like moments where the universe just aligns. Cause I 
get really like self-critical and down about Queer Walk. And I'm like, oh my God, what are we doing? And then Dr. Sammy will tweet about us and how she enjoyed the episode. Yeah. And it just gives me enough oomph to keep going. Yeah. So, Which means a lot because not, not only do we love Dr. Sammy, but just as importantly, like Dr. Sammy is somebody who we respect. So anytime I see her saying uh, sweet, sharp things about our podcast, I, I never take that lightly. And I always appreciate yeah. it. So what I'm saying, Dr. Sammy, is don't, don't stop. All right, so this, because we bi-weekly, I feel like we we be missing shit, yeah. but I wanted to give this shout out. So, um, Marsha's Plate did a Trans Day of Visibility competition. Uh, I saw you, now they see me was the hashtag for Trans Day of Visibility. You know, celebrating trans folks who have inspired us, who have impacted our lives, and who, um, you know, are flagrantly alive in the sight of our ancestors. Uh, and... I did a plug, a promotion. I nominated my homie, Vanity Jaslyn Mack from undergrad. Shout out to the Mack family. Yes. T Tuesdays, 09 to 2013, Auburn uh, and Skeegee. You know, shout out to us. Because um, Vanity really created like a a family, a community, and literally, like, there was this club called Sports Central. You can tell from the name. Very hood, very hyper-masculine space that Vanity carved out a night for queer folks of color at this club. That is amazing. And when I tell you that that was the life-sustaining thing for me in undergrad, um, yes. So, so I just wanted to shout out Vanity, uh, the homies at Marsha's Plate shouted out Vanity, but I just really wanted to give her her love and roses here on Queer Walk. And I would love to have her on one day to talk oh about. Because yes. when I think about it, I'm like, we were 19, 20, 21. Yeah. yeah. And she created like a tri-city, like Auburn, Tuskegee, Montgomery community of queer folks of color. And yeah, we got to have you on one day, Vanity. But I love you and wanted to give you a shout out here. All right. So in our borders are fake shout outs. McDonough, Georgia was in our top 10. So shout out to McDonough. Valley, Alabama. I know where Valley is. I about to say, where's that at? Yeah, it's like on the border uh, between Georgia and Alabama. It's actually one of uh, the few cities in Alabama that's on Eastern Time and not Central Time. So oh, shout out to Valley. And you know, you know, if it's something to know about time zones, money's gonna know it. <laughs> money's gonna know that <laughs> shit. What you a know whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time zone you're in. We always appreciate that you're listening whatever. to Queer. Shout World. out to the Valley. What was that little strip club called that we used to go to? Strokers? Whoa! Something like that. What a little name! <laughs> anyway, Strokers? I feel like I'm revealing too much about my uh, my college years on this mic. But anyway, shout out to Valley. Shout uh, out to Valley. And last but not least, Berwyn, Illinois. Is Berwyn. that how you would pronounce that? Berwyn? Yeah, it looks, yeah. Berwyn. What happens there? I don't know, Nikita. I don't know. But I do know one thing that happens there. Motherfuckers is listening to Queer Whack. And that's the only thing that matters. That's That's the only thing that matters. (laughs) So thank y'all for coming through being in our top 10 cities. 
All right. And then we got a review from Reigns SC. Okay. A five-star review. Let me read it. Sure, Nikita. All right. Reigns says, cup of tea in podcast form. Five stars. I've been listening for a while now, and I can confidently say that this is by far my favorite podcast. Listening to the mental moment, word of the week, and Money and Nikita's beautiful friendship is like sipping your favorite cup of tea. Comforting, healing, and oh so right. Chef's kiss. Thanks for providing a community for us all. That is so great. I'm so glad that I could be your your chamomile, your chai, your earl, earl gray, your green, whatever you Nobody's favorite. favorite tea is earl gray, Nikita. It could be. No, or your just basic black Earl tea. Gray is like y'all got y'all got y'all don't got y'all don't got okay. Well, I'll take the Earl Gray. That's that's wow. the Earl. Gray. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move it on along to the crown jewel of Queer Walk the podcast. Look, this she don't is... even say it with conviction no more, y'all. Look, All listen right. at her. Okay, this is the bullshit. From whatever the fuck her name is. Is that what you want me to do? No, now stop that. This is, I like I just said, this is the crown jewel of Queer Rock the Podcast. And as I've been prone to say, you know, everybody and their mama thinks that there are some kind of, you know, I'm not going to say that because that's just going to be nasty and rude. But anyway, suffice it to say <laughs> that money is a trained mental health professional. A trained and practicing mental health professional who knows what the fuck she's doing. And That's right. not only is she trained and knows what she's doing, but because she's all about community, Montanique also has made the decision to share her insights, expertise, and wisdom around all things related to mental health with us. So you get that in the form of none other than the mental moment with money. Without further ado, money, take it away. Thank you, Nikita. I'm going to have to start putting my license number, license numbers. Because, you know, I was about to start. Every time I think about this segment, I just be ready ready to fire shots. And I can't do that every time I I introduce the segment. Because it's a lot of pretenders and fakers and busters out here talking about shit that they don't know about. Okay, I'm done. Nikita, Nikita. What is this? I feel like this account uh, is like a terrorist of black communities and healing at this point. This uh, astro uh, healer, bay person. I don't know what they call themselves on Twitter. But like. Oh, the one person I was like, basically, if uh, if you got diabetes, it's because you're depressed. Yes. Something wild and like that. And that. Um, uh, there's no such thing as postpartum depression. Yeah, that's just they just tweet like the most wild hot take shit. And it got ninety thousand like, followers. So many followers, and the, I think the thing that I take away from that is it falls into the we're used to narratives that blame us for our conditions, mm. and so to to turn to a quote unquote healer which I don't think this person is a healer in any stretch of the imagination. Because I don't think you, you know, I said this before, but like, you don't have to be um, institutionally trained. There are... I I do want to be clear about that. Exactly. I I think healing happens in a modicum of forms. And I think that there's all different kinds of trainings 
Exactly. Not just you know, not just because you went to some white man's school. I just want to clear exactly. that up. But there are people who take healing enough, who take healing serious enough to train and practice for it. That, are that, you in? That is what I'm yeah. saying. Just like what you were talking about with Kianga, are you a part of any radical traditions of healing? Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not part of, no like, nobody claims you? Just nobody? Wa- just waking up one flag. day, waking right. up one day and spouting right. shit on the internet is yeah. not, that does not make you a healer. A healer, yeah. I think a healer is not just somebody who is comfortable hearing your trauma. Yeah. You know, like, be. I want you to say that one more again. Say that again. A healer is not just somebody who's comfortable hearing your trauma. Okay. You know, the th- the thing about healing is that you actually give people tools. skills, tools, resources, yeah. not just shame them because of the things they're struggling with. So I just want to say, as related to the mental moment, that I want y'all to take pause in healers who always seem to find the root of the issue in, in you. In you. In you. Yeah. So. That, y'all, that's y'all the motherfucker. I got to shout on that because that was a word. Hallelujah. <laughs> Nikita Hallelujah. shouting like an old church lady yeah, right now. <laughs> that was, I think I, I felt. We got to start doing a video component so the people can see. Because <laughs> I, I was about to jump up out this chair. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying, y'all. You know. Dropping gems and you ain't got to get six figure. You ain't got to get six figure loan debt like me, but you do need to train in some rigorous way. Yeah, um, that's it. before you start, because it's just uh, it's just so hard to do the un the uh, to do the undoing of when people finally get to the point of asking for help and meet these wiggity whack ass people and yeah. that yeah. So I just ask y'all. To you know, take pause in um in the people who you call healers. All right, so kind of riding off that wave, and um the last solo episode that I did my myself, you know Nikita wasn't here, so I talked about vicarious resilience, and I want to just follow that up. To be quite honest, it's because I've been feeling very useless in supporting my students lately around. Dealing with anxiety, still still being in school and having to get work done, and just all the layers of things that we experience stuff on. Like, I don't know about y'all, but it feels like the grief is, is like, multi-layered <laughs> these yeah, days. It's yeah. like the, the personal, the macro, the communal, and we are always having to do that. Um, and so I just wanted to follow up in my conversation about vicarious resilience. So... As a refresher, if you haven't listened to episode 102, um, where I talked about vicarious resilience, uh, a lot of us might be familiar with vicarious trauma. So the idea of vicarious trauma is that you who haven't initially experienced a traumatic experience, and this could be a big T trauma or a small T trauma, start to take on symptoms of being the primary person who experienced that. And this happens for a lot of first responders, yep. a lot of people who are who are in communities that experience disproportionate violence, like us, you know? Um, so there's a lot of ways we can take on vicarious trauma. But I wanted to highlight that these same mirror neurons that make it possible for us to take on trauma, so too to make it possible for us to take on resilience. And again, 
resilience, the way I like to think about it is last night took an L, but tonight I bounced bounce back. back. <laughs> I was it. trying to it's... think about how come that song comes in my head, no shit, every time I think about the word resilience. <laughs> that's, you be Pavlovianly training me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to connect new neural pathways because what trauma does is it ingrains a certain neural pathway for us to respond from. And, you know, if we start opening up alternative pathways, it's less heavy to deal with this shit. Yeah, I, so. I told y'all that's, that bitch was good. You see that? I mean, that was like, that was like next level right there. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I see what you did there, girl. You're okay. gassing me up. I, this is, she's so funny. Um, you know, if ever I doubt that I'm a, I'm a decent therapist, uh, my best friend will make me feel. More than a decent. Yeah. Um, yeah, so resiliency is your ability to adaptively respond to life's adverse experiences, right? So to, um, I've said this before, it bears repeating that not every traumatic experience gets stored in our body as, as trauma. trauma. Yeah, It doesn't have to, right? And the things that research finds that prevents a traumatic experience from turning into quote unquote big T trauma um, meaning we have, you know, uh, reactions, uh, triggers to it is if we are um, responded to and held in our disclosure of that event. Like mm-hmm. if somebody is there and like that was fucked up. Yes. Like, you know, that empathic listener really makes a difference. And what what do I use to refer to that community? Okay. So community makes the difference. At least that's the number one game changer in what trauma research finds. All right. So I just wanted to talk about a few ways. So I tell I told y'all what vicarious resilience is. I want to talk about how you build it. So I have a list of ways that you can build vicarious resilience. Yeah, of course, she's got a list. Go ahead. Come on. Let's go through the list. All right. All right. So um, the first way to build vicarious resilience is seeing others as equal or in your community as opposed to seeing yourself as a savior. You've got to say that one more again. Say it again. Yeah. So um, the first way to build vicarious resilience is seeing others as equal or in community with you as opposed to seeing yourself as a savior. Whew. And so what I mean by that is, so what research on mirror neurons has shown is it's not just that we have them, like everybody has them, right? Like it's a, it's a, a, a way that we learn as children. It helps with our development. It's how we understand. We don't have to encounter a new table each time and create a schema as to, oh, this is a table, you know? uh, We all have it. But the thing that makes a difference of whether or not we sort to like, we start to emotionally connect with someone is if we see them as our people. So a lot of times mirror neurons get talked about with like parent-child relationships or um, sibling relationships this happens similarly within community. This is why, um, you know, it feels so heavy to lose DMX because I feel like he's oh, my people. You know, yeah. he's like he's a part of 
so many of my childhood memories and you know my mama plays him all the time and so seeing him as my community um rather than like some one up position of like savior helper it hits different um so how to build vicarious resilience is you start to make meaningful community with people and see them as your people Right. Um, not not in any kind of elevated status of like, I have this resource and I'm here to bestow it on you as your savior. Yeah. Yeah. Because that gets into shame, blame, guilt, um, all these things that aren't actually productive to anybody in a situation. So the second thing on my list of how to build vicarious resilience is being able to recognize strengths in others. Mm. So, yeah, this I feel like this is pretty straightforward. Can you look at someone that you are in community with and name the things that they are able to do well? Mm. Um, are, are some of those things goals for yourself? When you see somebody like you able to do something, it makes you more able to feel like you can do that thing as well. So these strengths are not far away. You're in community with strengths already. In community with strengths. I love that. I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about all the strengths of, of yours that I admire. And I feel like I always try to do, I always try to communicate that to you. And I feel like I always tell you these things about you that I admire deeply. You do. You do. And, and I really, I do feel like I've learned some, like some, some, I've developed some strengths in being in like relationship with, you know, like, and to you. So I mean, that, that shit is real. Nikita, stop being so nice to me. Yeah, I mean, even though you yeah. call me everything but a child of God, I, I absolutely love it. All right, all right. Okay. All right, Lisa's child, all right? <laughs> Look, <laughs> Why you got to bring my mama into this? <laughs> no, for real, though. Um, I think one of the reasons why I was like, okay, you're going to be my friend is because I learned so much from you and I saw all of these strengths and skills that you had that I don't even think you see in yourself. Like, I know you hate being like a public speaker or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you're just so fucking good at it. And, um, I just continue to learn and grow being in a relationship with you. So like very real. Uh, I mean that equally. And she builds a mean bookshelf. (laughs) 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 A woman with many strengths. <laughs> uh, stop winking. All right. Third on my list of ways to build vicarious resilience is to develop your potential. So, what I mean by this is seeing others overcome adversity helps develop your confidence to do the same, right? So, can you put yourself in positions to try out strengths that you have? Um, you know, when you start to feel like you got to win, you're more able to feel like you could do the next win. And, you know, it's just like a, a domino effect of conquering this, like, conquering energy that I can do this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, develop, put yourself in, in positions to feel that win. Develop those potentials. Number four is witnessing other people's joy. Mm. I think I said this when I talked about vi- vicarious resilience for the first time, too. We are so overly exposed to each other's struggle (laughs) that I think we often forget to witness each other's joy um this means I I go really hard I celebrate people's birthdays you know I'm like yes we celebrating your life today 
um, when friends win like awards yeah, or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, just making sure that I'm seeing uh, life narratives as well as like the the sad narratives. You know. Yeah. Witness other people's joy and be in it with them. I must say, you're a professional gasser upper. You, you think <laughs> you live for that? Yeah, I would love for that to be on on my CV. I would love to be a professional gasser upper. <laughs> they'll be like, um, they'll be like, uh, money LMFTPHDPGU. They're like, what is that? <laughs> you like, oh, that's just my uh, professional gasser upper. No, no. <laughs> I do it. It's, it's I a do community it and I... credential. <laughs> And I mean every word. You I do. mean every word. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, number five, ask people how they do it. You know, I think um, this is like a step removed in the age of social media of like, ask as you're witnessing people's joy or like their highlight reels of their life on social media. Yeah, you clap for them. But I feel like follow quickly behind that is like this uh self-assessment that people do of like oh damn she published a book i ain't published no book oh shit she started a podcast i ain't start no podcast right oh she having a baby i ain't had no baby you know it's like instead of doing that build a bridge reach out to somebody ask how they do it girl how'd you manage to get that book out and you doing blah 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 you know it's been my experience especially within queer of color community that people are much more willing, Open, willing to, absolutely. Yeah, to be like, Ooh, I give you the boom, boom, boom. Even if, you know, even if they don't want to put you on or give you the connect, they will <laughs> give you, <laughs> they will um, open up and, and be a little forthcoming about how they do the, the things that they do. So yeah. the thing about this that I want to emphasize is you don't have to create your, um, your potential, your coping skills all on your own. From scratch. From scratch, yes. Like, we've been surviving. (laughs) We've been out here thriving. Uh, Everybody has something you can learn from them on how to do so. Absolutely. And last but not least, be involved in social causes and social change. And I think Nikita has highlighted this incredibly over the last... 70 plus episodes, but when you're in movement space, organizing space, you really get to celebrate those small wins that may be like the larger national conversation around um, how we get free. Don't take up. Yeah, You yeah. really get to see them. Um, like getting uh, the police to break, uh, getting a school to break their contract with police in a city, that is a win, right? So, even though we haven't seen a national defunding um, of and, and disarming of police, we do see these little wins of kids organizing, getting police out of their schools. schools. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And all those things make me feel like another world is possible. Yeah, so being yeah. involved in social change movements. Yeah. So that those are my thoughts. My list on how to build vicarious resilience. See others as your people rather than yourself as a savior. Be able to recognize strengths in other people. Put yourself in a position to develop your own potential and celebrate your own wins. Witness other people's joy. Ask folks how they do it. 
and get involved in some social cause or social change space. Aqua Underwear is a small custom underwear project with an eye on queer, gender, and BIPOC inclusion. All garments are handmade by Mel, a queer Latinx sewist based in Salt Lake City, Utah, with a dream to make underwear that can be customized to fit a wide variety of bodies and genders. That means underwear made to your unique measurements and between the leg needs and styles you actually want to wear. While the future holds many exciting styles, currently Aqua Underwear exclusively makes boxer briefs for all genders. Custom orders are taken seasonally, each time in different colors and fabrics. They have cozy cotton, luxurious lace, and coming up is the Mega Mesh Collection. Sizes range from 26 to 60 inch waists, and sizes are ever expanding. As part of the QT BIPOC community, Aqua Underwear's owner Mel centers the community wherever possible. For example, all Aqua Underwear models are cutie BIPOC and BIPOC folks and prioritized for testing new styles and models. There's also a 20% undie discount and even some pay what you can options for folks in the community. There's so much more to discover about this new underwear project. So to find out more, head over to Aqua Underwear's website, aquaunderwearslc.com and Instagram at Aqua Underwear, that's A-Q-U-A Underwear. And feel free to hit them up. Tell them that Queer Walk sent you. And now we're going to move it on along into our leftist lesbian luminary labor lecture from our worker wordsmith wizard, Nikita Alizé. Okay, so this is the segment where Nikita breaks down some social justice jargon so we can understand it. She puts us up on some organizing goings on that we need to know about, or she just gives us the radical history of how we got where we are in the first place. I learned a lot in this segment, and I think you all do as well, because Nikita is our resident genius over here, black girl genius. So without further ado, uh, take it away, Nick. All right. So um, I think... uh, I want to talk okay, about... Before, before we start recording, Nikita just said she wanted to shoot her shit, so... Whew, let's see, y'all. Not, not in, like, a bad way. I'm actually... Well, I won't get into that right now, but... There's all this stuff, excuse me, that has come out uh, about one of the BLM co-founders, Black Lives Matter co-founders, Patrice Cullors, and, you know, about all this stuff around, like, these like having multiple properties and you know she's called herself a while ago um a quote-unquote trained marxist and so they're like people like what does it mean for like a leader to of a movement or an organization that like i calls itself grassroots to have multiple properties that you know, total in like the millions of dollars. And so, mm-hmm. and it's not just about this particular, like this one instance about Patrice, but there's been like these long standing, like criticisms and concerns around uh, BLM global uh, network and like them getting 
like basically being like a wash in all of these donations from last year. I think of the number that I saw was like ninety million dollars. And is there some kind of like mismanagement of funds? A lot of people are like, where the fuck did she get that money from? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I follow this stuff a lot. And it's like, there's a lot of things I lurk on social media. You know, and I follow things, but I don't feel the need to participate in conversations around it. Yeah. And so, I'm not really interested in like attacking Patrice Colors as a person. Because it's like, I don't know her. But I do, I feel like this raises like a lot of like interesting and important things for like movement people and organizers to be thinking about. And I think that, um, I think that the money is the sexy part because a lot of people, yes. and to, you know, to kind of like talk about it in like these very general terms, I think that there's like two sets of criticisms, right? There's like the totally reactionary right wing conservative. Cause like, you know, post, I mean, uh, camp. So, like, you know, the article was, like, the the New York Post, which is, like, a right-wing rag out of New York, you know, went in on her. And then, like, the right is basically, like, you know, they don't think black people should ever have anything. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of, this is, like, the right-wing, because, um, again, you know, she's a self-identified or calls herself a trained Marxist. So they always do this where it's like, you say that you're a socialist. Well, why do you have shoes? You know, yeah. like that's kind of, they don't think, <laughs> they think if you're a socialist, you should always be, you know, you should be wearing nothing but a burlap sack and eat porridge or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, so like, these are not people who care about BLM or any movement around black liberation. They're not like, Oh, like her values aren't, matching up with what she purports to claim to support and all that stuff. So it's like, I'm not really, so like, like you have to include that piece like in the conversation, but like, that's not the part that I'm like particularly like interested in. Cause it's like, I agree with Patrice to some degree. I'll come back. I don't think that's the whole story and other movement people who are like, this is just like a right wing attack. And like talking about like where she lives is like akin to doxing, you know, putting out her personal information around safety it's like, I think, I think, I guess what I'm trying to, the way I think about this, I think a lot of things can be true at the same time, right? Yes. So it's like, I think that, like, I I wouldn't do that, right? I, I'm not interested in, like, you know, outing where she lives or anything like that. But I think there's, like, the, the left wing and the movement concerns and criticisms that are, like, uh, you know, that is interesting that you got multiple properties and the millions of dollars and then BLM, Global Network, is like is flush with funds, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know her. So I, I feel like I need to be very clear about that. Like I don't have, uh, I'm a member of a BLM chapter. I mean, I feel like I should do a disclaimer. It's like I'm not talking about this as like, like I'm not representing our organization. Like this is just me like talking about this and like the way that I think about this as an individual based on my own personal experiences within mm-hmm. like organizing, and or you know within an organization you know, called, like, BLM. So, I could be totally naive, but I don't think, because what the article, like, that article that everybody was talking about came out, would it be, like, a week from now when this uh, episode drops, is, like, they're trying to make it seem as if Patrice, like, stole money from BLM. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. she, she's literally world-renowned, and she's got... yeah. Um, she's got book deals. She's got 
I think she's got a a media YouTube deals. YouTube deals. She's yeah. got Warner Brother deals, and she's got yeah. like I don't I don't think Patrice, she teaches too. She she, teaches. she get a salary as a professor. Uh, there was something a little. I think there is something a little interesting. Um, she has a consulting business that I mean, kind of got like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like a lot of money in my opinion. So it's like. I don't think Patrice Colors needs to steal BLM's money, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it get call me naive, but I don't. I, I don't. I don't. That to me is not the main issue, right? I now I do think that what other, what people have raised, and I do think it's an important point. Um, like when I put up this status on my own personal Facebook, uh, one of our, our local activists and organizers, you know, raised a point, and I think other people have raised it. It's like even if she's not stealing, like taking money from uh, BLM, what does it mean to have somebody who's been jettisoned into the spotlight? And it's like, it's not, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that these opportunities that she's been given is is a direct result from her role, like in the spotlight and That's because of question. her relationship to BLM Network. And on the flip side, it's like there are people in the movement and like families who have been affected by police violence and police brutality who are struggling. Struggling. That that is a stark contradiction that I feel like has to be named and talked about in a meaningful way. And again, this is not that it doesn't matter. It's it's not well, it does matter, but it's not like this is not about like. So what she says is, I didn't draw a salary from BLM. It's like. Okay, like that's like that. that that's could, a technicality. That's a, like that could technically be true, but it's like yeah, your renown, your visibility, exactly. like the fact that you can have these book deals and you're on this, that you can be on a right. speaking circuit is because of yeah. your role as like co-founder of this uh, this organization, right? And what what does it like morally and politically mean yes. when that's the case? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think who do who do plant mamas that podcast? They had a conversation about this, and that feels like the most important question. Sure. Hmm. Um, I think because I am like an organizer, and I've been in organizations, and I understand. You know, I feel like I have some modest understanding of like I've never. Been, run like a national organization but it's like i understand like the difficulties and the things i've bumped up against about when it comes to like running an organization and all of the you know logistical structural and internal questions that come about with that and so i think the thing to me the central question is about structure and democracy and what do i mean by that like there are things so I like I said I'm a I've I've been a part of a chapter, and just from our own our like my own personal experience within that organization, like trying to get in touch with somebody from national was like difficult. And it's like, how do you have a national organization? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I don't know any who any of these people are that run the organization. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and so a lot of people have said, you know organizations like chapters haven't been given that money but like and I think that that's like an important point but it's like I think something that like we were looking for was like just like internal structure support like 
you don't need to recreate the wheel. Like that to yeah. me is like the boon and the benefit of being a part of a national organization is that it should be structured so that there are people who can like help chapters do these like basic organ like they're kind of seemingly basic organizational infrastructure things but it is when you don't do that shit it can make your organizing life a living hell yeah and so it's like like you have to have i think it's critical to have people and in roles to give organizations multiple kinds of support financial capacity building leadership building all of that kind of stuff and just from my own limited experience it was like there's so much stuff that we've just like had to figure out and we've done ourselves because there was no support from like the broader network right so you're saying um just so i can clarify yeah you're saying as a chapter of blm yeah in a city yeah uh, it's been hard to find what the structure of a BLM chapter is supposed to look like from the national organization. Or it's like there's things that we need. Uh-huh. And we're like, we should, like, it's like, the way I understand a national organization is like chapters should be able to say, hey, this is what we need. Who on right. staff or who is a regional person or a national person that can come and like help us do like basic capacity building. Right, and, right. And I feel like we, people are like, talk to this person, talk to that person, talk to that person. So it was impossible to find out who that person was. And then mm-hmm. when we found out who those people were, like, after multiple, multiple, multiple attempts of trying to get into contact, like, we never got any response. And so I'm like, that's not a way. And so what does this have to do with money? There are times where I would see initiatives coming from, like, the BLM Global Network, some I agreed with, some I did not. But whether I would, I agreed with those initiatives or not, I'm like, who decided that? Yeah. Like, there's not a go-to entity or body mm. that says, okay, this is how, like, these are the funds we have. How as an organization, like, these things should be bottom up in the sense mm-hmm. of, like, there should be some kind of mechanism, some kind of some kind of internal organization to to say some kind Mm -hmm. of method of being able to say this, these are our funds. How collectively as an organization, are we going to decide systematically decide who gets what and how, or not Mm -hmm. even about funds, about initiatives, campaigns, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's like, and so I think that to me is what, so I think that there's two things. So, a lot of people, like, you see all this shit. Like I, like I said, I lurk on social media all the time. And you see all these accounts where people are like, so-and-so did this from the BLM. So-and-so did that. And I'm like, and so a lot of people are like, we should be, it's something that she said. And I only saw, like, that 10-minute clip of her interview with Mark Lamont Hill. But she's like, you know, we should have principled conflict and generative, like, disagreement. And I'm like... The, I think one of the reasons why this stuff has gotten so bad, the fact that this stuff gets so bad on social media, one on the one hand, it's like that's just the waters that we swim in. People always have these hot take, you know, incendiary arguments online. But I think more importantly, if you have no place to go in your internal organization to deal with or raise legitimate mm-hmm. qualms or concerns, especially if you're desperate, you're going to go to social media. 
Right. So people run. And so like when Patrice is like, you know, these are just like, you know, when she's talking about like, we have to have a principled place to do that. And it's like, it shouldn't be public. And it's like, well, it's happening that way. Because again, from my own perspective, if other people know different, then I would love to hear that. But I'm like, if there's no internal place within a national organization to have right. these debates and to raise these concerns, then where the hell is somebody or where can groups of people do that? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. feel like that is the central question that I have not, that's like a piece, you know, that I have not heard her um, talk Speak about. Speak about at all. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so people have talked about, like, again, I don't, and because there's not that transparency or, because a lot of people have said that this is about transparency. But again, I, I think that there's a difference between transparency and democracy. Because it's like, even if, because she'll say, like, you know, like, 20 million has gone to, like, these initiatives. And it's like, again, it's not just to say, hey, like, 20 million dollars. I'm being transparent saying 20 million dollars has been designated to go to X, Y, and Z organization. But it's like, again, if you're grassroots in a... Who decided that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think people would feel more compelled to actually defend her in the organization because you could say, you know what? I had a stake. I had a role. Right. I, I could take ownership of these decisions. Mm-hmm. I can clearly say at this meeting, at this event, this yep. caucus, this delegation, this group that was democratically decided and elected yep. or however was the group of people right. that said this is how we were going to fend that. And then we could say and then yeah. people could say I can back that because again mm-hmm. I had a role in deciding who, mm-hmm. what and how something was going to be funded. Yeah, You know what I mean? Even I'm even thinking like Robert's rules of order, like even in these real, you know, stuffy white ass ways of making decisions, like they send out the minutes and you got to vote to approve the shit. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the difference between transparency and democracy. Right. It's like it's a difference between saying, hey, we spent 20 million on this and saying, hey, we would like to spend 20 million on this. What y'all think? Or it's like, let's have some working groups to come up with some ideas. Like, we get broad feedback in a systematized mm-hmm. way from, like, because, again, you know, it's also, like, there's, from like, the a, chapters. a logistic, yeah, like, a logistical. So, mm-hmm. maybe you have, like, representatives, a couple representatives from the chapters. There's some kind yeah. of, like, dele- you know, there's a big meeting with the representatives. And you get feedback from your chapter, and then your delegate says, brings it to, right. like, a larger thing. But, like, that Absolutely. requires structure. Right, you have to have some way of convening mm-hmm. all of these people, and then mm-hmm. you have to have a clear way of communicating back to the rest of the group as a whole. How again? How, who, and what was decided? Mm. And it's like be, because there's not that. I think so. Like I said, I personally don't think that she's stealing money, but because there's no way, there's no clear path of communication or decision making. I think it breeds distrust. Yes. Because if you could say, oh, yeah, I know, you know, there's, you know, that budget line and that budget line, and, you know, at that meeting back in 20, whatever, you know, and then I think another part of it gets tricky because it's like, to what degree would an organization like BLM, who is routinely surveilled 
Like, there's certain things I can understand that you wouldn't want to make public. And again, I don't think you even have to say everything. That like, you don't have to say, well, we, you don't have to give every like line right, budget. Right. But again, yeah. I think even if internally people in the organization could say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I knew. Oh, we, maybe I wasn't there, but I know that this meeting happened and this is how it was decided. Maybe mm-hmm. you didn't agree with it, but at least if you had some sense about what the fuck was going on, then I, mm-hmm. again, I feel like you could say, then you wouldn't be actually, then people wouldn't be concerned about what's going on with the 90 million. Because yeah. you, you would know. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, it's just like there's no space that exists besides the cesspit that is the internet yeah. to have this discussion. And so what I think, what muddies the waters is that you have people who are actually involved in organizations who are on the ground having like real conflicts and real issues trying to raise real concerns. And then you have, kind of like what we were talking about with the healing thing, you have people who couldn't organize a sock drawer, who couldn't, yeah. or who've never organized a picnic couldn't organize mm-hmm. a birthday party who are then chiming in people who yeah. actually have no stake no vested interest in the out in any sort of like outcome mm-hmm. of those decisions or any kind of stake in making mm-hmm. those decisions just kind of bumping their gums and so it's hard to distinguish what is a legitimate concern raised by people actually in organization on the ground and in movements and who are just the talking heads on Twitter that have an opinion about everything but have no real organizational expertise or experience when it comes to anything and so because you can't distill which voices are which I feel like again that further muddies the the waters and like trying to have this conversation which is why I don't think that social media is a place to have that conversation. But again, because there's no institution, no place that exists, where can people go to have this important principled conversation that Patrice is actually calling for? Mm. You know? Yes. Yeah. And like this is the stuff that can't really be hashed out. And even a nice, even a good thread on Twitter, right? It's like it can't it has be hashed be, out in a hashtag. It can't be hashed out in a hashtag. And it's like it has to be people talking face-to-face, and again, people have to be there who actually have a direct stake, who are participating. Because this is my problem with social media. Like, anybody, you know, opinions like assholes. Anybody that's got an opinion can say whatever, but again, who who aren't involved, who haven't participated at any point in time in Mm -hmm. anything. And so it's like they're Mm -hmm. just bumping their gums, going off hearsay, when there's, again, people who have, like, these real experiences, and that, but there's no space for those, for all of us who are participated in BLM or in like the broader movement to hash this stuff out collectively. And that to me, mm-hmm. and that, and even the fact that we have no place to go to have that discussion to me is a real, that is, that is an invitation for some real collective and organizational self-reflection to figure out why we do not have that. Why does that mm-hmm. national entity amongst black folks and black organi- organizers, why does that not exist? Right? Mm-hmm. There's some like broader structural factors that make it difficult for us to do that. Granted, we've just been living through you know, a, a global health pandemic that made it hard for us you know, to meet face to face and in person. But even before that, why was there no, why has there no structure being created to do that? And again, based on my own personal experience in organizing, you know, 
I think it's hard to do. It's hard to prioritize that kind of work when the kind of work that we're doing, like we are organizing against a system that like is like literally like we're, like we're in a crisis. Like mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. just in this week alone, how many people, how many cases? Yeah, it's like we're we're hearing about. The update's about the Chauvin trial. We're hearing about what happened to Dante Wright. We're hearing about what happened to Adam Toledo. So one of the things that I think organizers know that is really difficult is how do you do the long, how do you do carve out space for critical collective self, you know, reflection and also responding to the very real crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like responding to these immediate crises but also being able to step back and carve out that time to create yeah. these internal structures because it's like you yes. you can get stuck in that crisis wheel and then have yep. no organizational infrastructure yep. you know in that, to deal with any kind of crisis or deal yeah. with any or deal with any kind of conflict and i think that yep. is a real problem for our movements it's and it's a like recipe for burnout it's a recipe for burnout and we only create those things when the shit has already hit the fan it's like you right. have to create those things before the shit hits the fan so once the shit hits the fan you can say this is the structure we know what to do we yep. yeah we have this mm-hmm. protocol this process or this structure in place to deal with x y and z now yep. oh fuck x y and z has already happened we and now we have to try to deal with x y and z and also create a process yeah. and a structure to deal with to deal with right right you know what i mean right and so that's what i think is also important about having an internal structure that um that different cities and different chapters don't have to reinvent how to do it where they are exactly that you get to learn from each other and do exactly make the work contextually specific but that exactly what you said that there's already like a protocol there's i just think so much about political education like that we're we're learning and guided by the same principles. Um, and so when things happen internally, like somebody, you know, is fucked up and abusive, right. or when things happen externally where, you know, we're responding to crisis that we're not starting anew each time. Right. Exactly. And I feel like there one I, I think this last thing gets so dicey and so... Here's something I do want to say. This is where I put, like, my Marxist head on. Because people are trying to say that, like... And, you know, maybe she's not telling the truth. I mean, I don't... I, I will... I will I'm going to read Patrice Colors in the most generous way possible. And so she said that she's housing... Like, these... Fam, like, the houses that she's got are for family members. And it's like... I'm black and I know that that's... That's, like, a real thing. Mm-hmm. Right? That, like... So it's like it's not like she's like. So what? Why am I saying that? Because it's like again, the right wing is always trying to say, well, if you have a refrigerator, if you have a dishwasher, then how can you call yourself a socialist, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, how Patrice is making the this money? This bitch out. has walls, right? It's like that bitch got a fucking microwave. <laughs> and so it's obviously multi, like multiple properties is not the same as having walls and a microwave. Exactly. And so, but she's not a capitalist in the sense that, like, she doesn't exploit people's labor in service of a profit, right? But I do feel like, in a, like, there is a, there is a thorny question. Like, and I do feel like, I don't have the answers, but I do feel like there, we have to have a, a constructive way of having a conversation where people aren't defensive and where people aren't, 
like just out to like personally attack people. But I do feel like there has to be a way to have a conversation about, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a spectrum. It's like, because one of the things that Patrice Color says in that interview with Mark Lamont Hill is that she's like, like organizers should be paid for their work. As somebody who's been a paid organizer and understanding how hard and how fucking tireless the work is. I think organizers absolutely should be paid for their work. But, like, saying that organizers should be paid for their work is not the same thing as being remunerated and compensated to agree such that you can afford multiple million-dollar homes. Yeah. So yeah. how do we have that conversation? Like you, do you understand you what buying, I mean? You buying multiple half-million-dollar right. houses. And yeah. so it's like, 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 how do we deal with that? Like, like, mm-hmm. what is, what does that mean? And it's like, and I think that you know, I think it's always a slippery slope to get stuck into like moralizing about money. But I'm like, I, I do feel like that is a conversation in the movement that we have to have because like, there are people who are popular, right? And again, because of that popularity, you get access to opportunities. Like one of the things that I thought about was, I mean, I've done speaking gigs, and it's like. And I remember, like, when I was with a particular organization, when we would do speaking gigs, you would get the honorarium, but as a paid staff, it's like, I'm also getting paid from the organization. So we figure out creative ways to distribute the money back to the organization. Right. And, and, I, and, the, and, I, don't, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if Patrice is doing that, right? Maybe, maybe she mm-hmm. is. But I do feel like there is a question that, like, I do feel like we have to have that conversation. It's like, what does it mean? I mean, it is, and I think that there's like also like these other personal things where it's like, you know, I don't think that you have to be living in a burlap sack, but I do think it's fair for people to raise their eyebrows when a movement person is like in like has properties in the millions, you know, across multiple states. Yeah. So how how do we talk about that? Like mm-hmm. what? Uh, like I don't know what the answers are, and I wouldn't know the structure of that conversation. But there has to be room to have that conversation within, like our organizations yes. and within the movement. So I think I just really wanted to give that that perspective about organization, right? Not yes. necessarily about like the behavior of individuals, because it's like I, I can't pretend that I'm not going to pretend that I know the ins and outs of what's going on. Um, at that granular level of the organization. I mean, about what individuals may or may not be doing. But again, thinking about this in terms of organization, I, that that's the contribution that I wanted to add to this discussion. And I'll start yeah. there. I mean, I think that's the piece that I didn't know to make the leap to to ask questions, right? So yeah. I, I was just... I'm always really fascinated when people use oppression language in moments that feel like I'm like is this really though know? can we can we just spend five minutes talking about that because that <laughs> okay that is a woo, talk I about don't it, money. think so so I think I called you to ask you this um I, I know I tweeted it but it's just like I don't think every qu- critique of a queer black person is a white supremacist homophobic critique I don't know how else to say. Like, not every critique of a, a queer black good person faith. is a, not a, every a, good faith critique. Thank right, you. Right, right, yeah. And I think, I think the thing that that um, I was I was trying to reflect on around this, you just added with this organizational piece, right? So it's it's not just about when you reduce it down to the individual. It's very easy to be like, ow, 
white supremacists are trying to tear down our leaders. But when you look at the, the organizational piece, like who is, who are the people who are still struggling? Who are the people who are like, uh, um, organizing on the ground and don't have the resources. Yeah. Um, where is the protocol, the policy, the, the, the chain of communication for, for a, a international black liberation exactly. movement. I yeah. mean, so this is why I said that like multiple things can be true at the same time that are seemingly mm-hmm. contradictory. Cause it's like, I think you just really fucking hit the nail on the head. Cause it's like, I do think that the right, I do think that the bad faith criticisms of the right are white supremacists. And sexist and all that stuff. Or they don't think they don't think black women. This is what Mark Lamont Hill said. They don't think black women should have nothing. I agree with anything, them. right? Yeah. But again, the way I just you know what I was just saying, I think movement people are like, I think it's fair to ask. I don't yes. think movement people are being white supremacists, racist, homophobic, or whatever to be like. What do we think about leaders in our movement making yep. making that? kind of money because of their relationship to the movement to the movement that is i think that that is a fair question to ask and so i feel like i like and it's not an individual question yes yes because there's 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 a there's a number of like celebrity actors where like this is starting to be a dynamic and a pattern and which is why we have to address it as a movement and so that's what like i think that what you just said is just so key because one of the things that she said that Mark Lamont Hill interviewed the the 10 minute clip that I saw was she was like you know if this was a white person she's like I think people would be singing their praises and I'm like I I don't I think I I think when you actually think about like the far left I like I don't actually think that that is true yeah I think people would still be like I mean what the fuck going on what's going on (laughs) because I think that again we have a certain set of principles and values mm-hmm. where we yeah. would just be like, well, what, you know, what's that about? What What's going yeah. on there? How did that happen? How do we feel about that? Yeah. And so that's what, and I'm like, and I think it's just so easy, especially in the moment that we live in where again, where I think a lot of social justice words and jargon can be used to deflect or to not meaningfully engage with very serious, that's, rigorous, good faith criticism. That's it, Nikki. And I'm just like, again, I, and I know that it seems unfair to say this, but I'm like, we know that the right doesn't care. So I'm like, let's not, like, when we're trying to have these conversations with each other, can we be a little bit more honest right. and real? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly what you're saying, right? Like, we already know them people over there don't care. But it stands out to me when our people have questions. And it like, feels, and like this might ruffle some feathers, but I feel like if you think that the it's white supremacist, racist, and sexist, if the criticisms coming from the left are, insert whatever form of oppression, and this might ruffle some feathers, but I feel like you have to make the case, you have to, you have to at least make the case of how. Like you, yes. because it's just it's such there's such blanket terms. I'm like, well, and I'm and I'm not saying that your justification or your explanation will be satisfactory to me, but like you can't just throw the terms out as a conversation stopper. Not with not with your people is what I'm saying. I you know I'm not talking not about with yeah racist, mm-hmm. but I'm like I think mm-hmm. our people 
are yeah. owed more than that. I think that's yeah. what I'm. I think that is my biggest issue with like how I've seen her respond to this stuff. Is that I, I think that we just need a little. I think we need more than a little bit more. I think we, I think that we need a lot more. And it's like yeah. we need a lot more, and we need a constructive space to deal with that. I think mm-hmm. so. That's my thing. All right. Yeah. As I watched that, I just kept thinking about audience. Yeah. And I'm yep. just like, are you talking to us? Like, yeah. are you talking yeah. to? Who are you talking like, to? Like, yeah, who are you talking to? Because it's like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's all I kept thinking is like, are you talking to us, though? Like, we being white supremacists and that's what I'm, and like I, I said, <laughs> so tell me how. Make the case. Yeah, tell me how. Make the case. Because I, yeah. I just I just think so much about Fannie Lou Hamer right now and her saying, I knew I couldn't go back to my people with them two seats, right? Ooh, like, that, like, that always, oh my that God, that always when I think about audience is like, even, even these like um, moral or value, whatever, of ethical consumption under capitalism, it's like, of course you got to take care of your people. You know, yeah. I was just, I was just watching this clip of Young and May talking about that. She's like, yeah. I gotta, I gotta pay my mama bills, my sister yeah, bills. Yeah. I gotta make. Yeah. And that's real for black people. Uh, we know that. Best that is our very own real. It's the black tax, right? We're not yeah. just taking care of ourselves. Yeah. We we doing generational financial um sustaining. But uh, but do we need like a million dollar house yeah. to do that? Yeah. In? Like. <laughs> Like that is you invoking Fannie Lou Hamer is probably the best way to close this out because that to me is the testament of what it means to be accountable to people. Because and I'm because it's not even about now. Of course, I don't think I don't think Fannie Lou was like them. Them two seats sound good, but I can't go back. Like I'm sure based on her own personal experience, she's like you're not about to offend me. But that to me, is the testament of what it mm-hmm. means to be an accountable leader. Where it's like, yes. I cannot go back and look these people, look my people in right. their face. Because if these people are counting on me. And I feel like that that is the testament of good, solid, accountable leadership. Where it's like, yes. and it's like she knew, and even her saying, like, I can't go back. Like, she knew that she had somebody to go back to. She knew that she had to she report back to somebody mm-hmm. about what the mm-hmm. fuck she was doing vis-a-vis LBJ and these people and, like, the Democratic Party. Yep. And yeah. I don't feel, and in yeah. my personal opinion, I don't, we don't, I don't see that. For Based on my limited understanding and my experience, I do not see that from whoever the national leadership of BLM is. Where I don't think that they think... We got now. We've got to immediately report back to the rest report of these people what to, we're doing. Yep. That you, that invocation of Fannie Lou Hamer, just it was that was so fucking sharp, money. That that was. That, I, I mean, I ain't got nothing else to say after that. Wrap it up, then. Well, <laughs> well you know, I ain't an organizer, but don't push me. <laughs> you know. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having that conversation, Nikita. And for, as usual, expanding us into the organizational questions. The yeah. the the questions that that could get us to a different future. Uh, this, this is really gonna be the last thing I'm gonna say, I swear. But when, you, you said that three, no, three no, things no. ago. But this I feel like to in order to separate was it the wheat from the chaff on the internet, and it's like 
I'm not some magical Negro. I don't know this stuff because I'm a wizard. It's like, I know mm-hmm. this stuff because of experience. And I feel yes. like when people don't, when people are not able to invoke these specifics, right, to think in this kind of way, I think usually it's because they do not, they're just a talking head and they have no experience of based, uh, they have no experience of being in an organization. And I say this about, this is why I'm always saying that Miriam Kaba is the GOAT because the, the first time that I followed her prison culture on Twitter, I was like, this is a person that is in community with real people and has done this stuff on the ground because she can always talk about, she can always raise these questions because you can tell that she's on the ground working with other people. When people just spout mm-hmm. out these vague terms, these social justice concepts, but can't offer anything specific or concrete that is a red flag to me all right now i'm done Mm -hmm. all right i'm done for real for real for real (laughs) all right y'all um hit us up you know what nikita always talk about not not getting the dm slides not not having this is where you need to be sliding my dms sliding nikita's dms about these organizational questions thank you um you yeah use the hashtag queer wc to continue this conversation i think it's really important like uh, i mean across across uh organizing movement building these are really important conversations to have and things that we can learn from movements past about leadership and what they uh the lessons we can take from those and what we actually want um the structure of movements to be to get us free so yeah absolutely yeah thanks nikita mm-hmm. that was excellent bitch oh thank you all right so we're gonna move it on along to our topic segment topic which slash is potpourri the potpourri maybe we should just call it potpourri i love it let's call it potpourri it's like the queer potpourri it's where we talk about things that don't fit into our other segments so nikita yeah you want to ask me something I want to think. I don't think we've ever talked about this on air. I think we talk about it with each other and amongst our friends. But I wanted to get your perspective on kids. Like, what? Why are you making anyway? Like, what you want to know about kids? Like, do you want children? How how do you think about having children? Would you date somebody with children? I just not something. I don't think it's something we've ever talked about, have we? I don't think we ever have either. And you know, um, May is coming up. I really would love to have like a a Mother's Day, a oh, Parent yeah. Day episode. Nikita, get in one happy relationship. Okay, about <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh. Yeah, like, what do you think about like what what, what kind of parent do you think that? You would be mm. like, how do you think about raising children, having children, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. in this particular like society, and like how to do it? Like, what are the things that are mm-hmm. important to you? Just those kind of things. Well, um, so two things come to front of mind for me. One is that uh, I have polycystic ovaries mm-hmm. syndrome, so I feel like, and I found out the Monday before my 30th birthday. So it was um, a reorientation to my body 
and all the assumptions that I make as a cisgender woman. And yeah, so long story short, I had had all these struggles, had seen like four different doctors that culminated in um, finally figuring out that I had PCOS, PCOS. And I think prior to that moment, I had assumed that I had uh, whatever normal hormones are for cisgender women. (laughs) I had assumed that I had whatever normal ovaries are for cisgender women Mm -hmm. and that all I would have to do is get some baby juice and like, is that how it happens? <laughs> it would happen. You just, yeah, you snap your finger. Ain't that how it work? You, you like get the, you get the juice. You snap your fingers, do your step, and then you do it all by yourself. That's the way to have a baby. <laughs> and then, and then you just go, baby girl, what's your name? And then you have a child. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, totally you're playing. that kind of lesbian. That's, that's, that's the exact order that you would want to do it in. I know you. <laughs> um, the T-Pain method, you know? You know, there's there's IVF, there's IUI, and then there's the TPN. The T-Pain. TPM. T-Pain But, yeah, so, long story short, I'm clowning, but this was very not funny to me two years ago. I think I had... Prior to understanding how my hormones work and stuff, um, I had thought that I would like to choose to not have children physically. And if I come to parent in some other way, that would be great. Mm. But since then, I feel like I wanted to make that choice. I didn't want it taken from me. So part of me has felt like I've I've wanted to give it a good old try. Like, like should I should I try to like physically have um a offspring? Yeah. Um I think the the whole, you know, genetic, biological, that never felt that important to me. Yeah. But I think now that I've been, you know, almost two years now, uh naturally making life shifts that help me sure uh ovulate and all that stuff i've i've been thinking more about physically having a child than i ever have in my life kids are not deal breakers for for me when i'm dating um i would date somebody with kids uh i would like to have a child and and it's so fucked up that the way I think about it is it always is financial money I knew it yeah can I afford to sustain somebody other than myself um I feel like I get asked this a lot and like people you know be like oh my god you'll be such a great mom and that always just (laughs) (laughs) why why they say it like that money why they got to say it like that well because it makes me think about um I don't know. I just think I I uh I contribute to raising the youth in a lot of other ways outside of like parenting yeah. and it's just not an easy mm. question for me to answer, you know? So Yeah. So when people yeah. are like kids and parenting I just think about it a lot. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. Um this f- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to cut you I'm off. I'm just, you know, trailing off. What about you? The the physical piece is so interesting because it's the part that I have, like, 
I have had, I feel like I have to choose my words carefully about this. Because there's, I'll put it this way. For so long, though, I think that like, Riri, get your ass down. And this is why I don't want to be a mama. <laughs> you should you should leave that in there. No. <laughs> it the physical part of having children has always mortified me. I'm like from mm-hmm. beginning to end. How like the the <laughs> IVF I face. IUF that like all and all of the like the the treatments and things that have to happen. Like, I don't like being at the doctors. And then I'm like, you have to essentially be uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable, for six months, right? Just like, six I don't, months? Well, I mean, because I'm like, like when you, like when you start showing and like those kind of discomforts. Oh, but then okay. there's like this like morning sickness. So I'm like, somewhere between seven to nine months. It's just going to be a deep. It's going to be a deep transformation of your body. I would say seven to eighteen, because even even After. the months following yeah. birthing, and yeah. then and then and then the the centerpiece. I like it. Just does not make sense to me where the baby comes from. Like I still, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I still feel like there's something that somebody is not telling me. Cause I just cannot believe that the baby comes from the vagina. <laughs> I've been up close and personal with one and I just don't, <laughs> I don't the think idea, there's it yeah. out. And it can't, uh, and I'm like, it, it, I'm just coming out of my, I I, yeah. That is the part where I'm like, no thanks, do not, do not collect, go straight to, no. Mm-hmm. I, like, that is a, and I'm not somebody who has a high tolerance for pain. And some people are like, no, but it's fine. I'm like, it would not be fine. Like, like and then, I'm, so I'm like, <laughs> there's all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I never thought I was this person. And I, I guess I'll share this on air, which is probably a little more revealing than I would ever normally be, which is probably how I know I'm in a good mood and excited about recording. I, I, I feel like I'm a little loath to admit this, but just like in, just in some like honesty, I never thought I would be one of those people who would be like, oh, like my gender identity would be thrown into flux of being pregnant. But I feel like as I'm getting older and I, as I think about like potentially wanting to have children i'm like i think that would be a bigger sticking point for me than i would probably want to admit like i think it would be like Mm -hmm. it would be like a little bit of a like a like i don't think it would be like a deep like mind fuck for me but i think it would be like huh like it would i think just as being like a butch person it's obviously there are there are all kinds of people who have who can be pregnant of all different kinds of genders. So it's like I feel like I understand that and I know that to be true politically and socially, but I think there's a I've never I think it's a little bit more complicated for me personally in ways that I didn't like foresee and think about. Like what those changes would mean like for mm-hmm. my body and how I understand myself. Hmm. Um I think I think about that too. Like, I think about if I were to carry being out in public like that, I don't, don't ask me about no, like, baby daddy or yeah 
a man. You know, it's like I, mean, I feel like, and you know, I'm a private person. I'm like, actually, don't ask nice. me anything. Don't even ask that, me if I'm yeah. pregnant. I don't care if I'm eight months and showing. Mind <laughs> you, keep walking and mind your goddamn business. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I always, when I was like a, a, a young queer, like coming to first understand myself as a lesbian, um, I mean, so many lesbians that I knew had children. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I just thought, oh, I would do it like a, a home, a home based way. Like I would find a homie that I love, trust, care about. Yeah. Who produces, who happens to produce sperm <laughs> and, yeah. you know. And have it be like in community like that. That's always the way I imagined it. But now, you know. Yeah. I feel like now that we're talking about this, I feel like it would be a good idea. You know, we always talk about our homie Sequoia. Maybe it would be good to talk to her and May. Because I feel like I'm learning a lot of stuff from Mm -hmm. her about, you know, because she's a doula. A fantastic, amazing, badass doula. Amazing doula. At doula for... No, no. What's her thing on Twitter now? It's doula for a queen. Doula for a queen. For, Mm -hmm. like, the number. And so, like, even, like, she's talked to me because I'm like, ooh, to think about the physical part. She's like, that's, like, a common thing. There's all these kinds of things to, like, that you can do. And, like, there's other ways to think about this. I'm like, well, girl, you need to share the tips with me because I feel like it's been hard to imagine me as a parent. I don't know. I, Why? I, feel, I don't know. I feel like there's just like. I like I've been around kids. Like. Pretty regularly in my life. And. But I don't know. For some reason it's like. I, I feel. It feels like such. I'm like a deeply anxious and neurotic person. So I'm like. It feels mm. like such a huge responsibility and role to be like one of the primary caregivers and caretakers of a little human being and i feel like i'm like i don't know i I don't know if i can rise to the occasion yeah it just seems like such a huge thing but i feel like that feeling and that question is what makes people like good parents or makes people know that they don't want to parent. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think enough people give thought to that question. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, especially the breeders, the sisters, <laughs> they just be out. <laughs> bam, bam, be out. bam, bam. <laughs> yeah. Accidentally creating people. Right, right. What right, the fuck? Right. You know, and I I think that um, something that I really deeply value about um, queerness yes, broadly, but like, yes. you know, queer women formations um, is the intentionality it takes yep, to, yep. to parent. Yeah, yeah. In whatever way you choose to do yep. it, whether it's through having kids, adoption, foster, All or not it, having yeah. kids. And yeah. yeah. And doing some other kind of other parenting. So, um. Yeah, I think I get really nervous about that. I'm a control person. I, nice. I like, that was nice. I, I like to know outcomes. I'll say that. I'm an outcome freak, okay. not a control freak. All right. That's exa- <laughs> and that's a, an outcome freak is exactly what the fuck a control freak would say. Go ahead. Shut up. Um, But I, yeah, so I think about like... <laughs> like the unpredictability of children, and I'm this just thing like, excuse me. If if 
And the, un- the unpredictability takes different forms at different stages of their yes. lives. And I feel like, because right. it's like, you never know. So like my girlfriend, my partner right now, has two kids. They're four. They're, they're just so great. I have so much fun with them. They're really amazing kids. And I'm, but it's like the unpredictability of four. Like there's a lot that can happen because you like yeah. there's all kinds of things that can set a kid off at that age. A lot of it makes no sense to you. It's like they can be having very big feelings in the moment. You're like, yes. you know, I just put the cupcake to the left of the fork, but for some reason that sent you into a <laughs> meltdown. You know, or it's like you want to pick mm-hmm. up that particular stick, not the other one, but you need that stick, and you're gonna like it's gonna be the end of your world if you don't pick up that stick so it's like that's what happens at four and then at 13 you're like they're on the internet talking to all kinds of terrible people so you don't know what's going to happen and then there's drugs and there's abusers and there's bullies and there's like (laughs) it is and it's like there's to your point because it's like i always tease you about being a control freak because i'm one myself and i'm like there's just so like you can do what you can and no more than that when it comes right. to like little people. And then yes. I think about our friend, uh, one of our near and dear friends who's always like, who's a radical. It's like, if my kid becomes a cop, I like, whatever, what do I, how do I keep my kid from becoming a fucking police officer? And I'm like, that's a yeah. thing. It's like, you that's can instill these yeah. values, blah, blah, blah. And like, you just never yeah. know. Like, what do you but do? See, this, is, this is the thing. Whenever I feel like it's possible to be a parent, I think about being in community. community I never think yeah. about, I never think about it it feels it feels absolutely impossible and overwhelming when I think about doing it completely by myself. Yeah. So to know that my little person would have like other radical babies to interact with, that I would have a network of friends, caregivers, support, community, um, that you know that my kid would constantly be around. Like, I do think there's something to that. And of course, you know, they have like the rebellious phases of like, yeah, I'm a capitalist mom. And then I'm like, like, even that, like, like, there will be no capitalism under my roof. (laughs) As long as you're living under my house, (laughs) it's socialism. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can maybe be no damn, Hashtag building black wealth and capitalism. All right. right. It's like, you know what? You want to be an anarchist? We can, you know, agree on 90% of stuff, but I know damn well I ain't raised no capital. You know what I'm saying? Something like I ain't that. raised you to be no damn capitalist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm going to show that school. I'm going to show you I'm going to show you a blue life that matters. <laughs> Come home with some of that kind of shit. <laughs> oh, that shit makes me so nervous. <laughs> You don't believe a black feminist could whip your black ass, but I would do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't even believe in violence. You know, I don't even believe in kids. <laughs> I know damn well you ain't talking about there only being two genders in my house. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> you know, if I <laughs> now um, go upstairs and write that Audre Lord essay. <laughs> and clean that damn altar. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't come up so, here and pick these crystals up, <laughs> I done tripped over your tourmaline too many times now. <laughs> if you don't yeah, get out but, these goddamn communist pamphlets out the goddamn living room before we have our <laughs> guest over, I ain't buying you nothing else. <laughs> 
but on yeah. a serious note, that is the stuff that the unpredictability of children. The unpredictability, yeah. But I just find it really hard to believe that, like, any little one that I would be the sole responsible yeah. person for yeah. would... I mean, they would really have to try to turn out like that. Yeah. They they would, at the very least, be a moderate. So. Yeah. But, yeah, I think before... I, I mean, what I have noticed about me and thinking about kids is that I've had to detangle being a parent from all these other narratives that go yeah. into that of, like... Partnership and all that Having stuff. a partner, yep. yeah. And I'm like, I don't need a partner to be a parent. Yeah. I can do that. Word to Stacey Ann Chin, you know? That's right. And it's like, uh, I have models for doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget about yeah. Auntie Kiki. Yeah, I think about, like... Uh, I'm way more financially secure than my mom was raising three uh, kids in New York City. So I'm like, maybe, you know, if I build it, the kids will come or something like that. Um, I mean, that piece about stability, I mean, I know that that's such a whatever, you know, that could be such a dicey phrase, but I think that's also another reason why I've just, I've never, it's like only up until recently where I feel like my life has been relatively, like, for lack of a better word, stable enough to even, like, entertain. Mm -hmm, mm Because I just feel like, you know, financially, psychologically, Mm -hmm. emotionally, I just feel like there's just been... Yeah, yeah. It's like when your life is, like, constantly, like, in flux or... It's like, it's been hard for me to think about. And like you said, like, people do that shit. People do shit in flux all the time. It's like, my mama did shit in flux. Our grandmamas Mm -hmm. did shit in flux. But I think that that has been like a hard, like that's been the piece where I'm like, like, am I able to do this? Because it's, it's, I, I, don't, I, I don't even, now that I think about it, I've said all this stuff about, stuff about it out loud. I don't even know if I've ever doubted, doubted my personal skills or ability to be a parent. It's like, I feel like I've doubted my, the ability to have, the ability to have the conditions which would be most conducive to that. like bring life, bring a sustain that. a little life in the world. That. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's exactly been for me. Because I, I know that that could be like a thing for different kinds of women, but I've I've never felt. I feel like once I realized I was gay, I felt like relief from like the burdens of being trapped into thinking that like I needed to have some kind of family that looked some type of way. So I feel like yep. I'm like in a place in my life where it feels like, to your point. It feels like more of a choice, not like, oh, my God, like, this is, like, the compulsory thing that I feel like I should be doing. Mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like quite the contrary. Like, when I, yeah, when I realized I was queer, I was like, I don't have to, I don't, I never felt compelled to think about it. I think some of it has to do with my own family, where that was just not like a, like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have a baby? Yeah. Like, I've, I never, I've never felt that from anybody in my, from my, in my family in any kind of real way. Even as we talk about this, I was thinking about, I wouldn't want my child to call me mom. Mom, that's so whack and washed and played and boring. Yeah. I I, I think about that. I looked up, like, gender neutral names for parents once. I found mm-hmm. some cute stuff. I put it in my phone. I don't remember them off the top of my head, though. What's some cute ones? Oh. Let me see if I can pull it up. This is not gender neutral, but I love that one of our little nibblings calls their male parent papa i I don't know why i love that but papa because it's the way he says it it's It's so so cute cute. it's so freaking cute i call my mother ma i just be like ma ma 
I don't know. I think Mama Money would be cute. Mama, Mama Money. That would be so you. I don't know. Just not mom or mother. Oh my gosh. Mother? Mother? Oh, what a what a little asshole. Yeah. That's that's a kid that's gonna grow up to be a fucking cup. <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> so we so we like both kind of land on this side of like maybe wanting to have some children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm already in this position because of my my partner's kids. Yeah, she she sent me all these cute-ass pictures. Were y'all making uh, Rice Krispie treats? No, they got fish. And I was I was setting up their, the, they got little beta fish. So I was setting up the fish tanks. Oh, my gosh. That looks totally like y'all were baking in those pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, oh, look at the fruity pebble treats coming. The, that is a The fish gravel tank. looks like absolutely. That's what yeah. It, like. it was so <laughs> fucking cute. Aww. <laughs> that's so cute. You give a bitch a family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nikita. We're going to close it out with our... Curved Chronicles segment. Curved, 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 And the Curved Chronicles segment is where we talk about our dating woes and wins, your dating woes and wins, answer your dating questions, just shoot the shit about being queer of color and dating. Nikita, you got a Curved Chronicle? I do, actually. I really, (laughs) oh my God, do I. All right. I'm not going to name the store, but there's somebody in this town (laughs) who I have very fucking serious beef with okay okay <laughs> now, i know you shouldn't assume anything about anybody but i've got the sense that this person is black lesbian or this obviously a black queer person right mm-hmm. so they work at this place where there's not like a lot of people coming in and out it's not like i've been in here like multiple times it's normally just me Whatever, and I get it, right? Like, work sucks. I'm not somebody who fetishizes work, or I think that I believe that people have to be like in customer service need to be going above and beyond, mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. I'm not. I'm not saying like this person's not being, you know, like giddy and cheery and chipper enough. Yeah, yeah. But it's like whenever I see crib people, I'm always like, you know, you do just give them like a like, like some kind of gate. Like the queer me sees the queer you, right? Mm-hmm. So I went there. I went to this place. I'm not going to name the place, but I went there. As soon as I walk in, the person says, what do you want? And I'm like, <laughs> and for a minute, I feel confused because I'm like, God damn, I'm, I didn't mean to bother this person. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I was, I was needing something in particular. And I was trying to ask questions because they have an assortment of things. And I was like, I, I don't know which one to get. And so they were like, what do you want? What are you trying to do? I don't know. And I was just like, I'm like why are you got an attitude? Like, I'm just nasty. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I get what I get. And I, I get out. And, they, like, the whole vibe was just like, they act like I rolled up in their house unannounced. Like, I, <laughs> like I wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. Right? But I was like, you know what? Chalk it up to a bad day. Just this past week, I have to go into the same establishment. <laughs> Again, nobody else there. That same black queer person there. 
I've never heard how can I help you uttered in as aggressive tone as I heard it uttered that day. <laughs> how can I help you? <laughs> Is so, this person like well, uh, masculine presenting? So here's the thing, because there's like some race gender thing, because I know that that would be our listeners, that would be their go-to to be like, maybe you're misinterpreting or projecting something unfairly onto somebody. I could be no, a- no. Actually, what I was thinking is, I feel like um, mask presenting queer women do this thing where they don't acknowledge each other for a little while. It's like, it's like this it's is not, not beef. This is but, not that energy. This is okay. I, I feel like I it does not. Well, I should say this. It does not feel like that kind of energy to me. So, and I'm like, they're asking. So they need some information from me. I didn't. I didn't. I don't know what information they need from me. So they're and I, like, it just feels like I can't answer fast enough. So they're like, "What's your last name? What is this? What is that?" And I'm just and, and I'm like getting frustrated. I'm like I'm like this dynamic is so wrong. <laughs> and they needed this. Do like, they want to be like the only queer person? I don't in know. This? And so there's like this. So they needed a confirmation number, and I was trying to show them, and they're like, "Just tell it to me." And I was like, "Okay," and I'm just like. <laughs> So I officially, I'm like, I'm like, they walk, they treat me like I slapped their mama. Yeah. Why don't you just ask them like, what, what is the problem? So here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's something people may not know about me. When I, when I, I think you know this about me, money. I'd be really feeling some type of way and I cannot like, the energy that I get when I interact with this person, it the only way that I can describe it is that I feel like that kind of energy makes me turn into Nikita the nigger real quick. Yeah. That's I feel true. like you know what you know how I get. Yeah. It's not, I don't get like that yeah. often, but I like a part of me wanted to be like, you know what? I'm going to get the fuck out of here cuz cuz you see me you got an attitude. Like that that's the kind of I was like that close to that. But I'm like this mm-hmm. person is like at their job like I'm sure they're dealing with all, I was about to say, I'm sure they're dealing with all kinds of assholes all day. And that might be true, but I'm also, this person really seems to run a tight ship. I don't think anybody's talking to that person <laughs> reckless. Because I feel like a child. Yeah. And, I, and I'm always feeling like, oh God, I need, like, I'm like, why do I feel like I'm not allowed to ask, to ask questions about something yeah. I'm about to buy? I feel like I just put two and two together. And I know who this is and what established. I I know. I've been what you know this person. You've encountered them. Were they like this? I've I've encountered them, and they were like this to me as well. Yeah, they were. They were. Yep. And and now, and like this establishment is like close. And so I feel like one day I'm gonna have too much time on my hands. I'm gonna go up in there and be like, "What's going on?" What is What's the problem? Happening? What is yeah. you mad? <laughs> yeah, because I was wearing my black queer proud shirt. And come to think of it, when I went in there that day, I'm just I just want to know what the I beef know. is. What's the beef? I, What's the issue? Wow, I was just going to chalk it up to that you know silent conflict that that mask folks te- seem to have until they get to know each other. But no, this no, feels this like is, this is something. This yeah. is like this I don't feels know. Like I don't know something with that person. Yeah, like yeah discontent 
I just feel like in Syracuse, it's kind of hard to break into in-group yeah. with queer folks. Yeah. I feel like the reaction is to be like, we don't, we not trying to fuck with you. Yeah. No um, new friends. No new friends. Yeah. So it's like, I don't even want you to get the the joy in your heart of seeing right. a lesbian on this register. It, makes, <laughs> it makes you think about... Like where that whole Michael Jordan fuck them kids meme came from. Yeah. It's like, uh-uh. It's like, you think you fit? Fr- nope, not at all. Not today. Just bam. It's like, Absolutely oh, you think not. you excited to see another black queer person? Well, fuck you. That, that's what it yeah. feels like. I'm like, what is going on? That is what it felt like. It was very that. I've yeah. never encountered that from like another black queer person. Yeah. So I just want to be like. Yo, Sib, what's up? What's going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it must be something with this, like, what is the horizontal, the latitude? Yeah. It must be something with the latitude because ain't much better in the Seattle area. So, you know, the cashier that I thought was very cute. Oof, yeah. Well, I happen to be perusing Instagram. And came across their profile. Yeah. And their bio was... Back the blue? Back the blue. Okay. With a blue heart and a black heart. Yeah. And uh, not too far down in their photos was them wearing a shirt with that, you know, Blue Lives Matter flag. The black and white flag with the blue line through it. Mm. And this person is black? A black... A black mm. queer from how I'm reading her. Like what is going on? Who none of these things align in my brain that you are a cashier at a crystal shop. And you have black? sacred geometry, the the um the symbol for the crossroad man tattooed on you, right on your chest. And you wake up and put on a blue lives matter t shirt right. over that symbol? Yeah. So um, I guess it goes without saying. Don't fall in love with people <laughs> or, or uh, first sight. You know, make sure they don't have a blue lives matter shirt in their wardrobe yeah. <laughs> first. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't even know where to start. And I went to send you her um her profile, and they had untagged untagged her from the picture, so I couldn't even oh, show boy. you the foolery. But now I feel like I can't even shop at that crystal shop. I mean, right. like, how do you go to a place to hire such a person? Mm. Whew. These dating uh, pools are treacherous, treacherous what waters. <laughs> what the fuck? What's going on with the black queers in the service industry? What's, what's <laughs> Is that some kind of underlying crisis that we need to be covering on our show? Girl, I'm like, what in somebody's lived condition leads them to those ends? Yeah. Like, I just. None of those things compute. None of those things make sense to me at all. Um, Yikes. So, yeah. Back to blue. Buy some Kambaba Jasper. That don't make no sense. (laughs) Don't even make sense. Bitch. Girl, I don't know what's going on. No. No obsidian and malachite mixture in the world is going to keep the the police off your black ass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay. Yikes. 
I think it's interesting. I, I just feel like uh, maybe when I'm fully ready to go back outside, you know, <laughs> post-pandemic, um, I can actually meet people in, like, real-world settings where we would have com- yeah. more common interests, be more willing yeah. to, like, hit it off. But right now, I'm just going to live in my fantasies of Simone Augustus, and I'm going to be safe there. Yeah. Hey, Money, do you think that there's a day that goes by where you don't utter the word Simone Augustus? I'm just asking. (laughs) It feels like every single time I talk to you. I'm not even... I think people are going to think I'm being funny and bullshitting, but literally every single time I talk to you, without fail, somehow... We you end up talking about Simone Augustus. Well, Nikita, I mean, she's a legendary basketball player. She's a queer woman of color, so fits the content of most of our conversations. Uh, <laughs> she's fine as shit. I don't know. I don't want to pathologize my, myself too deeply, but I just feel like it is much easier to maintain... Uh, unrequited like celebrity crushes than it is to deal yeah. with like the unpredictability the of unpredictability. actually ordinary actually and the weird humans. i don't i don't know a word to use that isn't like you know a fucked up word fucked to up. use but like people are bizarre like what the fuck <laughs> like, yeah what? yeah I that's the safe, word i should be safe having a crush on the black crystal head right yeah, like that yeah. should be a person you would think you would think you would think mm-hmm. that all these things would align that that person could be a safe person to crush on just crush on we're not even talking about long term just this is what i'm saying nikita i'm talking about crushes uh squishes you know like oh i really yeah. want to get to know that person i just want to be around them all the time I'm talking about lusting, you know, just like the... Not like, oh, we've been together for like six months, seven months, eight months, and now we're realizing we're not compatible. Exactly. I'm just talking about initial chemistry. And maybe maybe it's because I feel like this because this is my experience, but I just think that so many other folks get to have that so much more. Yeah. Like... Yeah, agreed. Like, even if it's just a flirty exchange, I'm like... um. This is why I just love Nicole Byers' podcast so much. But I'm just like, how is it that I have been, like, for the better part of three years without having those kind of things consistently? I'm like, I look at me, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not like, you know, whatever standard that white supremacy tells us beauty is supposed to look like. Or even that, like, black, black normalcy ideals of beauty. But I'm fine as shit. And I'm yeah. and I'm probably the most uh, dynamic, interesting person that you would have a conversation with that day. And yeah, agreed, agreed. And nothing like crickets. That's how I know that that person that works at that place is something going on. Because I'm like, you are such a captivating, interesting person. And I'm like, if they're out there treating you like shit, yeah. And when I approach people. I really, I've I've tried to maintain this since, like, teenagehood. I approach everybody like a homie that I've known for a long time. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, you do that. And so when people meet that with, like, this Seattle shit of, like, I'm going to make it very obvious that I don't want to talk to you 
Yeah. Or, yeah, this person, this cashier <laughs> in, in Syracuse that's like, yeah. your, your presence is annoying to me. Yeah. I'm like, people... People, what? This this What's life is on? hard enough without complicating it with like off putting yeah. for no reason. Um, for no reason, no yeah. reason. Wild. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that cheery note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yikes. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I think that's it. You know. Yeah. This was this was I feel like I had a lot of fun recording this episode. This was a good one. Good. If I do say so myself. Okay. Well let's hear what y'all say. Um yeah. hit us up at Queer Walk Pod or all the things. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to tell us what you think. Um tell us what it is with the queer black cashiers that <laughs> what what What's is the happening? underlying there's probably some crisis in our community we don't even know about. We don't about. even know about. Um, yeah. So, this has been Money. I didn't have a, a opening introduction to myself. Just. I was just Nikita, comma, fuck the police. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess so I'll be Money defund as a means to abolish. So. I, okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. All right, y'all. Bye. <laughs>